Greetings, friends. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide. It's May 4th. My name is David McAdam, and once again, we're setting out on our journey to read through the Bible with the goal of completing it in a year's time. I'm pleased to be your encourager and tour guide as we navigate through some of the more thorny patches of Scripture, such as the book of Judges, which describes a dark period in the history of Israel and mirrors the moral degeneracy in our world today. It becomes evident as we read the Scriptures that we as human beings are more sinful than we dared imagine, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ reveals we are more loved than we ever dared to hope. In the recent days, we have been traveling through some dark valleys in our Old Testament readings, and we will again today. But it is also my joy to take you to the summit of the New Testament as Jesus Christ is set forth in the Gospel of John as the Rescuer, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Giver of Life, who fulfills all the requirements of the Law and the Prophets as the Holy One of Israel, the Son of God, who lays down His life to redeem us from the curse and gives us eternal life, His resurrection life, to all those who believe on Him. Let's pray before we set out. Father, bless us with fresh understanding today as we read your word. We need your Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth so that it profits us, instructs us, corrects us, and transforms us. The entrance of your word gives light, and we confess that we need your light. In your light, we see light. We know that all that is written in the Old Testament histories are for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So give us this day our daily bread and feed us, Father, with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we go to the book of Judges, chapter 19. So brace yourself as we go to a horrific scene describing a Levite and his concubine. Judges, chapter 19. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her, to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him, and his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So he ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him, till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he rose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned toward evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. 
When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, and let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites, and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners, who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places, and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim from which I come. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you, but against this man do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, There was his concubine lying at the door of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Chapter 20 Then all the people of Israel came out, from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people, of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, four hundred thousand men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this evil happen? 
And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day twenty-six thousand men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered seven hundred chosen men. Among all these were seven hundred chosen men who were left-handed. Every one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered four hundred thousand men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin, and the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening, and they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day, and destroyed eighteen thousand men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, For the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah. And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day, and set themselves in array against Gibeah, as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. 
and as at other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the open country about thirty men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are routed before us, as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Maara Geba. And there came against Gibeah ten thousand chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was hard, but the Benjamites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the people of Israel destroyed twenty-five thousand one hundred men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about thirty men of Israel. They said, Surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjaminites, they pursued them and trod them down from Nohah, as far as opposite Gibeah on the east. Eighteen thousand men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor, and they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon. Five thousand men of them were cut down in the highways, and they were pursued hard to Gidom, and two thousand men of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were twenty-five thousand men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. But six hundred men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, and remained at the rock of Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin, and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men and beasts, and all that they found, and all the towns that they found they set on fire. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament passage in the book of Judges. You may remember that the author of the book of Judges has prefaced what is written in chapters 18 and 19 with the comment, Now it came about in those days that there was no king in Israel. He reminds us where these incidents took place in the context of Israel's history. Yes, these events took place before the days of Israel's monarchy. Still, in the context of the larger drama of human redemption, these events dramatically illustrate the horror of the human condition as it casts off restraint of moral accountability. The author makes it clear there is no sense of God's kingship in the lives of the people here. The final chapters of the book of Judges describe the extent and swiftness of the spiritual and moral declension in Israel. We see a similar pattern of degeneracy in the history of great civilizations in the past. We see it also in the trajectory of our society today. The prophet Isaiah reminds us of what is in store. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. We see symptoms of the demise of our own society when that which is forbidden in Scripture is applauded and that which is sacred is disdained. The media glorifies the occultic and doctrine of demons. Holy matrimony and fidelity are considered perverse and sodomy is now considered sacrosanct. It is deemed politically incorrect to speak of our need for this world's only Savior and the prospect of His return. In chapter 19, a man from the priestly tribe of Levi, who had been entrusted with the sacred duty of upholding the law of God and promoting worship throughout Israel, experiences a domestic crisis. He had taken a concubine from Bethlehem, Judah, and moved to the hill country of Ephraim rather than the place of God's assignment, one of the cities designated for the Levites to inhabit. His concubine proves to be unfaithful. She flees to Bethlehem to take refuge in her father's house, perhaps because she fears the revenge of her husband or the law, as adultery was punishable by death. Four months later, her husband, the Levite, has found it in his heart to forgive her of her infidelity. He travels to Bethlehem, Judah, discovers her at her father's house, and they are reconciled. He and his father-in-law rediscover the joy of one another's company. They party with three days of eating, drinking, and making merry. The Levite seems to be enjoying his father-in-law's company more than the common-law wife he sought to win back. The Levite and his concubine intend to leave on the fourth day. The father begs them to have breakfast before they go. They start pouring drinks, and they continue to enjoy wine, food, and more good chatter. The day slips by until the evening. Warren Wearsby comments that, quote, This Levite illustrates the careless attitude of many believers today. They are children of the day, but they act like children of the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1-8 through Judgment is around the corner, but these people think of nothing but enjoying life. When his nation was so far from God, how could this Levite waste his time eating, drinking, and making merry? Had this laughing Levite been walking in the light, praying and seeking God's will, he would have made other plans and saved his wife from shame, abuse, pain, and death. End quote. The father of the Levite's concubine persuades his daughter and the Levite to stay another night. The fifth day is similar to the previous days of drinking, except when the father begs them to stay another night, the Levite refuses. In the period of judges, it was dangerous and sometimes too hot to travel by day. It was also dangerous by night. The couple depart Bethlehem and travel to Jebus, Jerusalem, with a pair of saddled donkeys and a servant. The Levite's servant suggests they spend the night in Jebus, but because Jebusites considered pagan foreigners inhabit it, the Levite refuses. We suppose he thought it was far too dangerous to put themselves into the hands of pagans at night. Instead, he chose what he believed to be a safer option, traveling four miles up the road to Gibeah, where he would be warmly and safely received by his own people. Gibeah was part of the inheritance of the tribe of Benjamin. Surely they would treat them well. When they came into the open town square in Gibeah, no one came out to offer them hospitality. Only one man showed any concern at all. He was an old man who was also originally from the hill country of Ephraim. He now owned a house in Gibeah and was coming into town from working in the fields. He offers to take the Levite and his concubine and young servant into his house, warning them not to spend the night in the open square. While they celebrated in the Ephraimites' home, 
the men of Gibeah came outside and surrounded the house, banging on the door and demanding that the Ephraimite surrender the Levite, his male houseguest, to their sexual lusts. Chapter 19, verse 22. The owner of the house went outside to plead with his neighbors not to act so wickedly. When he realizes that the crowd will not take no for an answer, he surrenders his daughter and the Levite's concubine instead. Notice the sad similarities to Genesis chapter 19. The Benjamites gang-rape the Levite's concubine and abuse her all night. In the morning, her unresponsive body is discovered at the doorway of the Ephraimite householder. The woman had been there since the first light of dawn, with her hand clutching the threshold, but the master did not open the door until full daylight. The Levite callously says, Get up and let us go, but there is no answer. He placed her on the donkey and took her to his home. He then cut the body into twelve pieces and sent her body pieces to each of the twelve tribes of Israel. This is more than a personal tragedy. It was a national tragedy. Horrifically, this is what the nation had come to. This was a disgrace. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs 14, verse 34. All who saw it said, Nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. Judges chapter 19, verse 30. Consider it, the sinfulness of sin, the heart that is ruled by self, that demands to be free from moral accountability and responsibility, is in desperate need for the righteous rule of God. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Where is a man after God's heart? The book of Judges leaves us with a yearning for a worthy Savior. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love but a faithful man who can find. It has been said that this chapter holds a mirror up to the time when people did what was right in their own eyes. It is interesting that a popular newspaper is called the Daily Mirror, and in it, and newspapers like it, we read stories of atrocious crimes and brutality that mirror the depraved condition of the human heart. What the priest does to get attention of the nation is drastic, but the symbolism is clear. Through its turning away from God to serving its own idols, in Judges chapter 18, the nation had gone the way of degeneracy that defies description, and it will bring about the nation's dismemberment. It would lead to a civil war. The tribes of Israel would tithe their fighting men and supplies to go to war against the tribe of Benjamin. They give the people of Gibeah the opportunity to surrender those guilty of the crime, but they refuse. The sons of Israel inquire of the Lord as how to put right this wrong. The horror of the sin at Gibeah revitalizes a previously suppressed moral conviction. G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, In the midst of the most soiled and debased times, in the presence of some more than usually violent manifestation, the slumbering convictions of a people will flame into new sensitiveness and demand recognition. In response to the ghastly and bloody appeal of the Levite, Israel gathered itself together before God, seeking to know how to act. The low level of morality, which had manifested itself in so fearful a form, could only be dealt with by general suffering. The men who were in the wrong were brutally defiant. Moreover, they were strong enough at first to defeat the army of Israel. 
This fact, at least, suggests that Israel was not clean enough herself to punish wrongdoers. Again, the people gathered before God, and this time in weeping and lamentation. After this, they went forward, this time to victory and the core punishment of the sinning people and those who had condoned their sin. Thus not Israel, but God, smote Benjamin. End quote. From G. Campbell Morgan, Searchlights in the Word. Now let's go to our New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 3. John the Baptist exalts Christ. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Chapter 4 Jesus and the Woman of Samaria Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And we'll continue tomorrow. This is the end of the reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. Jesus was giving his disciples the gift of time. In Judea, he was spending time with them and baptizing. John chapter 3, verse 22. This verse needs to be understood in the light of the Apostle John's parenthetical statement that is to follow, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, in John chapter 4, verse 2. The baptism of John symbolized repentance, a recognition of sin, and the need for purification, to come clean before the Lord. But repentance alone does not put a man in a right relationship with God. If righteousness could come by the law, then the saving mission of Jesus coming to die on the cross would be unnecessary. Something more is needed. Our history in Adam needs to be concluded and put away as dead. We need a new life and a new history in Christ. There is a need for the burial, bathing, and birth pictured in baptism and fulfilled in Christ. John's disciples are having a discussion about purification and how the work of John the Baptist compares with the work of Jesus. 
John clarifies that his role is that of the forerunner of the Anointed One. In the New Testament era, the friend of the bridegroom responds to the voice of the bridegroom and calls people to the wedding. John points to the Anointed One, the bridegroom, who is the Word of God. John the Baptist's joy is complete in that he recognizes in Jesus the bridegroom's voice and sees that his life mission to prepare the way of the Lord is fulfilled. Like John, we should be overjoyed when people turn to Jesus. We should do our part to help them do so. There is no greater joy than to know Christ and to make Him known. There is no greater joy than to see Him increase. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. John's final testimony is one in which he emphasizes the distinctiveness of Jesus Christ, with seven contrasts between His personal attributes and ministry with those of others, including Himself. John, like any man, can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven, in John chapter 3, verse 27. Yet Jesus has been given all things by his loving Father, in John chapter 3, verse 35. John says that he himself is not the Christ, in verse 28, but was sent before him, referring to Jesus as the appointed Messiah, the Christ, in verse 28. John was a friend of the bridegroom, but Jesus was and is the bridegroom, in verse 29. John must decrease, Jesus must increase. In verse 30, John was of the earth, Jesus was from above and is above all. In verse 31, John had a measure of the Spirit, Jesus had the Spirit without measure. In verse 34, John was a servant, Jesus was more than a servant, he was the Son of the Father. In verse 35, John is sent to bear witness to what he has seen and heard so are we. Apart from a miracle of grace, this witness is despised and rejected. John chapter 3 verse 27 and verse 32. When people receive our testimony, it is a work of the Spirit, and they set their seal to this fact that God is true. The summary of John's testimony is found in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 36. And now we turn to the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms, and we come to Psalm 104. Once again, we're continuing in that wonderful psalm, praising God for his creation, the works of his hands. Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships, and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you, to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. 
And this is the end of our reading of Psalm 104. O Lord, how many are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Psalm 104, verse 24. The one who created all things created us. We are created to relate to him by faith with a threefold interlock of trust, loving him, being dependent upon him, and obeying him. Here's a worthy objective for this day. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 104, verse 34. And now for today's Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 22 and 24. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. God has given us the capacity to plan. We can devise good or evil. It is not enough, however, to have good intentions and plans. We must act and do so with kindness and integrity. What is your action plan today? What good things have you devised? Let's pray. Father, may we all be faithful witnesses, signposts to Jesus, this world's only Savior and truly worthy King. We abhor the decadent history of the human race, so easily given to the reign of sin, and we repent of our repugnant idolatries. We ask that the restoration of your rule through King Jesus would take root in our hearts, in our families, nations, and unite the Church of the Lord Jesus with a singular life passion to bring glory to your name. We thank you for the demonstration of your loving wisdom in the cross. Our Adamic history has rightfully been condemned and put to death. Now reign in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we have a lot to think about, a lot to praise God for, a lot to meditate upon as we go into this day. Thank you for being a part of this Bible reading community. We hope that this is a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others this day. If you want to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org, and you can also subscribe there to written copies of our daily commentary on the Bible reading of the day. Until tomorrow, may you be blessed, and we look forward to further adventures as we read the Gospel of John and conclude the book of Judges tomorrow. And may the peace and love of Christ abide in you throughout the day.